As you can see, we're in a sermon series called Pastoral Prayer. Just a three-week series. We're on the second week, and Pastor James started up last week. Um, in a prayer that's found in Scripture uh, in, in Numbers 6, uh, 23-27. Um, it's a prayer where the Lord shows Moses how to show Aaron and his sons uh, how to pray a blessing for the people of God. And uh, I thought that this morning I'd, I'd go ahead and read that prayer again just because it's so wonderful. And then we'll move into the next prayer that we're going to study today. Uh, last week's prayer was like this. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Good stuff. A prayer that uh, we can all pray for one another, and we can pray for the church. And that's really the essence of, uh, of this sermon series. These, we're looking for prayers that we can pray as a people, or prayers perhaps that us as pastors, that we would pray also for our people. And so today I'm, I'm going to have us uh, take a look at another prayer that comes from Scripture, uh, and it's a prayer of King Solomon. It's where King Solomon he asks for wisdom from God. And so we're going to study that prayer and just uh, make that also kind of a prayer of our heart today. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3. It's also found in 2 Chronicles, right at the beginning of 2 Chronicles. And in 2 Chronicles, most of it's like, it's like word for word the same, except for that in 2 Chronicles it uses the word wisdom. And in, and in 1 Kings, it doesn't. Um, it asks for a discerning heart, but... I, I picked the king's one because it has a little bit more details in some of the stories. And uh, I think you'll, you'll still get the idea, right, that he's, he's asking for wisdom. Um, so go ahead and stand up this morning and, and we'll read. I'll read for you all the way uh, from, from verse 4 through verse 10 from 1 Kings chapter 3. The king, that is Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked, and God said, Ask whatever you want me to give to you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were to continue reading on in chapter 4, verse 29, uh, the scripture affirms that God indeed gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Let me pray. God, I just, I just invite you to, 
to, to breathe into this sermon, uh, to, to use the words. I just uh, call upon you to speak to our hearts this morning. And we want to hear from you, a good word from your scripture. So speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, James also uh, mentioned that we have a, uh, a, uh, a staff meeting once a week on Tuesdays, and we get together, and we, we spend a, a good portion of the time just praying for you, praying for people in, in our congregation and outside of our congregation for whatever those needs are. And, uh, and then afterwards, we will we'll sit and we'll strategize together about, you know, what needs to be done in the church. We'll get it down to the, to the business and stuff. And, and this morning, uh, we're talking about this prayer for wisdom. And so I don't want you to think today that we got together and said, man, we sure got a lot of dumb people in our church. We better get them praying for wisdom, you know. We're going to have to pass out all those, here's your sign kind of signs, you know. That's, that's not the case at all this morning, we recognize that, that we have a very intelligent congregation here. You guys are smart, and you're beautiful, and you're strong, and you're wonderful, and you're everything. You're everything that you should be. We're so impressed with you and with your intelligence. But I think that if, if, in fact, we are smart, every one of us will recognize that at some point... Our knowledge isn't enough. At some point, it, it runs out, and we're left with, with questions. We're left not knowing what, what exactly to do. And, and I think that's, that's, that's something that we see in King Solomon here. King Solomon clearly was great. He was great. But the first great thing, the first great thing about King Solomon was that he wasn't afraid to say, I am not wise. In this passage, he calls himself a little child. You saw that, and it may puzzle you. Biblical scholars have looked, and, and, and they've done the chronology, and they would say that King Solomon, when, uh, when he became king, he, he, he was certainly into his 20s. And so he wasn't like some of the other kings, like Josiah or some of these other ones that, that became king as a kid. He was, he was a grown man. And yet he says this, he, he I was, I'm a little child. And so you get a sense for how he felt. You get a sense that, that he got into this position as king. And uh, he said, okay, here I am. I'm king now over a big nation. Now what? I'm, I'm 20, you know, I'm, or I'm in my 20s. I... I just, he just didn't know. He, he felt small. And he recognized that his own intelligence, his own smarts, and, and his wits, and, and all those things, that they weren't, they weren't quite enough. There are a lot of 20-year-olds out there that think they should be king of the world. <laughs> king Solomon wasn't that way. He was smart enough to know that he was in over his head. Uh, a few years ago, I'm 33 now, a few years ago, I turned 30, and my wife threw me a big surprise birthday party, and many of you were there, you remember that, and um, we, had a, we had a good time. But a couple of days later, after my birthday party, I was here on a Tuesday morning, and uh, the Tuesday morning Bible study, the ladies had invited me to come in, and they were going to have a little lunch and stuff, we were going to celebrate together, and uh, my birthday and a couple others as well, but, but I remember that, that one of the ladies was asking me about how I felt to be 30, you know, to change into a, a new decade of my life and stuff. And, and I told her, you know, 
I, I feel actually pretty good about it. I, I kind of like being 30. Uh, because, because when you're 30, you're still considered a young man. But at the same time, you've lived a little bit. And you've, you've had, got enough years under your belt to have developed uh, some maturity and, and to kind of get a little bit about what's going on in life. And she looked at me <laughs> and kind of, you know, gave me one of these and said, yeah, that's what you think when you're 30. <laughs> Gloria's laughing about it. It was Gloria. Do you remember saying that to me? <laughs> and, uh, and, and in that moment, I, uh, I, I, I realized that I'd been put in my place, first of all. And, uh, and, I thought, and, and as the day went by, I thought about how true that was. And I thought, is there any reason that I won't learn just as much and I won't grow just as much in my next 30 years as I did in my first 30 years. It makes a, it makes a, a fair amount of sense. Yeah. We're, the recognition that wisdom is still not just right here in my hands. A lot of talk has been made about how great King Solomon was. But again, I think that the first great thing, the first great thing about King Solomon was that he was smart enough to know, even as a young man, that he wasn't wise. And we'd be smart enough, we'd be smart to do the same, to recognize that we aren't naturally wise. Even in the past couple of weeks, I've been confronted with, uh, with situations and circumstances that, that, that have stretched me beyond my own intelligence. I've, had, uh, I've, I've been involved in situations that were very challenging to me. And, and, and as a pastor, I know that, that people come to me and, 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 and they, want to, they want to hear my perspective on a situation. And, and I know Pastor James and Pastor Danny... We, we are confident that we are called by God to lead people in the ways of the Lord. And yet we would all recognize that we don't always know just what to do. We don't always have the right thing to say or the right way to act. And, and most of you, you, you've experienced that as well. Uh, if any of you are parents, you would say, yeah, I know that, that I have this duty to, to lead my children. And to, and to guide them and to help them. And yet sometimes as parents, it escapes us just exactly what to do. Because we are not naturally just wise. At some point, our intelligence isn't enough. And in those moments where, where our intelligence just isn't quite getting all the way there, there's just there's one thing that we can do. I find myself doing this. And, uh, and so if you're ever seeking my counsel on something and I appear to be like in an altered state or like you're talking to me and my lips are moving or something like that, then, then I want you to know that it's just because I don't know exactly what to do. And in the back of my mind, I'm praying that God will anoint me with some kind of wisdom that comes from him. Uh, one time I was pastoring uh, just kind of a, a part-time deal when I was younger, uh, in, actually in the church I grew up in, and uh, there was a lady that, she came to me and she was expressing some, 
some uh, issues that she was having with her daughter, which kind of in a strange way nominally involved me because her daughter was totally in love with me and there was like just this weird thing. And so and here, I, here I was and she's talking to me and, 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 and I'm just wanting the Lord to just give me wisdom. And apparently I, I got too involved in like the prayer side because after a little while she went, hello. <laughs> and, I, and I came back and I learned that I need to be a little more subtle about, about when, I, when I'm doing that. But, but then there are sometimes also where, where you can be in a moment where, where someone's just asking difficult questions. And I remember asking those difficult questions. I remember uh, when I was in college, I had one professor that finally said to me, Jake, there are some questions that are just better than any answers that can be given to them. And that's true. And, and, and the reason that's true is because, because our intellect, our smarts, at some point, they run out. And the, and the most difficult questions in the world can only be handled by the infinite mind, by the infinite wisdom, which we don't naturally have. In the end, we are always unable to attain the infinite intelligence of God. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try. Uh, why not? I mean, go for it. Shoot the moon, you know, try to understand, try and gather as much intelligence as you can. I think that really the understanding that we do have of God is much in debt to those who have this drive and this need to, consent, to continue studying and searching and, and scraping to try and understand God at a new level. So go for it, you know, by all means. But nevertheless, God will always remain to us a mystery. And we're forever unable to attain, attain the infinite intelligence of God. I often find myself reading over the wisdom of Isaiah 40. This is probably a favorite passage to me. I'm just in that often. And, uh, and this week I was drawn to some of the less flattering uh, words that, that are found there. Because uh, Isaiah 40 will remind us of, of how small and in, incomparable to God we are. I mean, it, it says things about God, like, uh, says things like, to whom can you compare God? Who else has held the oceans in the, in the palm of his hand, right? And then it says, who has ever understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? It says these things about God. And then it says, finally, Isaiah turns his attention to us and he says, you know what? We are like grasshoppers. How nice. That's right, the Lord stretches out the heavens above the earth and, and, and he rolls out creation like a tent and then he sits enthroned above it all and, and down below, we're like little tiny grasshoppers. Have you ever wondered what a grasshopper's thinking? No, you haven't. Because a grasshopper's thoughts are way too low to even, to even care about. Like it's, They're just not thinking on a level that would bring us curiosity. And I would say that while God, while God created us with intelligence and while God created us with, with wits and smarts, those are God-given natural traits. I said in the very beginning, you are intelligent people. You're smart. I believe that. And yet what we don't naturally have 
is the wisdom of God. And so there's a distinction here between intelligence and wisdom. And so maybe today you're saying, yes, that's true. I'm a really smart person, but I recognize today that I don't naturally have God's wisdom. If that's you today, then let me tell you a good place to start. Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10 says exactly this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's actually the, the title of my second point as well. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of all wisdom. And every time I share that scripture, the first thing that actually that, that I feel the need to do is, is to clarify, first of all. Because, because everyone goes, fear, fear the Lord? You know, like, why fear, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't believe that God wants us to be afraid of him. What God's getting at here is, is, is just a, a proper reverence. You know, the scripture, it, it talks throughout it. It talks about God as being the, the loving father. At some points in scripture, it, it likens God to like a mother hen who draws her chicks in and, and protects them with her wings. And, and this is the God, this, this is the God that we are to to draw near to with confidence because he loves us and because he is, he is good. And yet, the Bible also talks about a proper reverence that, that recognizes that we're like grasshoppers before him. I like the way that, that Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29 says it. It's, it's a great description of what we're looking for. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I like to think of God in that sense. He's a consuming fire. What does fire do? Fire burns up everything that is not pure. And leaves just the gold or leaves just the silver. Our God is, he's that. He's a consuming fire. He's dangerous. It's probably an overused example, but, but and I think it was even spoken of here just a couple of weeks ago maybe. But this idea in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy is talking with, uh, it's a beaver, right? At the beginning, talking with a beaver. And she says, they're talking about Aslan and, and how he's a lion. And, and she says, well, is he safe? And the beaver says, oh, no. He is not safe. He's good. No, and and that's, that's the thing about God is it, is it is not safe to be in the presence of God. But when our heart is right, it is good. And he draws us in and he purifies us. And, 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 and like that mother hing, bring, brings us underneath the wings of his protection. So the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom may look a little something like this. First of all, it requires, it requires belief. You, you, you can't fear the Lord without a belief in the Lord. And so that's, that's maybe just the first aspect of it. But the second one is, is a recognition of God's power and of God's authority. That God is far above us. And he's the creator of all things, is, is immense, and his power is beyond our control. We should feel small in his presence. But then that third thing is, is, is a humility or, or, or a submission. As we recognize his power, we also submit to his power. And you get the sense that Solomon is saying, without these things, without the fear of the Lord, which includes these things, there is no, there is no kind of wisdom. 
Wisdom requires belief, the recognition of power, and the humble submission to this God of power. I, uh, I got together with Tony this week, and uh, Tony and I made, made a little video um, that illustrates this, and, and uh, I want you to see it. Cute little video. You'll recognize me in it. Um, but I, but I, but I kind of like, we just wanted to illustrate the idea. And so take, take a look at this. Tony for, for helping with that and, and I just I like the idea you know you can you can go through and there's lots of different there's lots of different ways that you can search and, and you can you there's so many options for acquiring knowledge there are lots of different ways to develop your intelligence and yet the fear of the Lord and falling submissively on our knees before him and the recognition of his power is the only way to true wisdom. What's often, I think, so difficult about godly wisdom is that it often seems foolish and counterintuitive as well. And, you, and this truth can be seen in so many of our, our favorite Bible stories, right? You, you would think that if you were God and if you were going to choose a nation that was going to be your people, you would choose a powerful nation. And then you would display your power through that nation. And that yet, that's, that's not what God does. God chose a small nation that was suffering under oppression, an insignificant people that had a tiny voice, if any voice at all, among the other nations. And yet today, we are still talking about them. And it seems that if you were going to lead an army into battle, if you had 22,000 men that you were going to lead into battle against another nation, you would want to take them all. And yet God tells Gideon to, to shrink that down to a mere 300 people. And they go into battle, and, and they do some weird things with pots and stuff like that, and and the Midianites, they turn on each other and they destroy one another. 
You don't even have to fight. And you, you just don't say, I know, let's go to battle with far fewer people than the other guys. <laughs> it seems like foolishness. And God's wisdom, it seems like foolishness sometimes. And you can go on and on in Scripture with these kind of stories. You can go on and on even with those Scriptures, with those kind of stories in our own lives where God tells us or where God tells people or groups to do something that seems silly to our most intelligent standards, and it turns out for the best. I've always been, uh, I've always been one where God, God has always spoken to me through music and through, and through poetry, and uh, even when I was a little kid. I remember one time uh, I was a kid, and uh, I, was even, I was too young to go to youth group at this point, but on one particular Wednesday night, I was at choir practice, for our church, and I would go and I'd sit in the men's section, although I was probably more like a soprano at the time, and I'd sit in the men's section and right next to the youth pastor, and, uh, and he would just kind of mentor me. And this one Christmas season, we were going to sing a, a song called, How Should a King Come? And to this day, I remember the words of that song, and I wrote them down because because that song, it, it started to teach me that, that God sometimes acts differently, doesn't act in the way that you would expect. And here's the words. It says, how should a king come? Even a child knows the answer, of course, in a coach of gold with a pure white horse. To a beautiful city in the prime of the day, the trumpets will sound and the crowds make way. And everyone knows that's the way that it's done. That's the way that a king should come. And he should dine upon summer strawberries and milk. And sleep upon a bed clothed of satin and silk. And high on a hill his castle shall glow with the lights of the city like jewels below. And everyone knows that's the way that it's done. That's the way that a king should come. But we all know that's not how the king came. We all know that, 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 that he came in the most backward way on a cold winter in a, in a barn to a poor family from a poor dunk town. And, and you know the story. I don't need to keep telling you, but I think I will. Because, because God's seemingly foolish wisdom is probably most clearly revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it seems so backwards. I love the way that Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians. Let me, just, let me just read you this whole section. I think it's going to be on the screen. But it illustrates what I'm talking about so wonderfully. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 
Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Now, for most of you, since you're the kind of people that show up on a Sunday morning, you, you hear those words and, and, and you say, yes, I'm inspired. That's, that's some of the best stuff I've heard all week. And yet, there might be, there might be a couple that, that think, you know, I just don't get it. It doesn't seem right to me. And, and for certain, if you were to go out or if, or if some of the people that we know out there were to be here and to hear us read that scripture on a morning like this, they would, they would say, you know what, that's absurd. Do you hear yourselves? You guys come here and you worship a dead guy that claimed he was God 2,000 years ago. Do you know how foolish that is? And we would have to say, yes, it's foolish. It seems absurd. Often I've thought that. It's such a weird story. And yet the absurdities of God are wiser than the intelligence of this age. And the more that we're around these absurdities, this, this foolish-looking wisdom, the more we're around it, and the deeper we allow God to penetrate our hearts, the more his foolish-looking wisdom begins to make sense. I love what the passage says there. It says, think of who you were when God called you. You weren't wise. You weren't influential. You weren't noble. But God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. It doesn't say you weren't those things, but after a while you became those things. And then everybody recognized that you were, in fact, influential and noble. No, it doesn't say that. It says that they stayed foolish. And God chose the foolishness to be the wisest. God made it that way. Because it's God's foolishness. And God's foolishness is wiser than any other kind of wisdom. And at some level, that might resonate with you as it does with me. And yet at some level, you might also recognize, as I do, that you still struggle to trust God's foolish-looking wisdom. And if you recognize that you still struggle to trust God's seemingly foolish wisdom, then that might be the first great thing about you. Because you can recognize that you do lack wisdom. It's not something that we naturally have. But if you recognize that you lack God's kind of wisdom, you can do what the Bible tells us to do. You can ask God for it. You ask God for it. It's as simple as that. 
Just like Solomon did, we should ask God for his wisdom. As it says in, in James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Talk about a powerful promise. Do you recognize today that you lack wisdom? Ask God for it. I think, I think that wisdom is kind of like a gift of the Spirit. It's not listed there in the gifts of the Spirit. But I think that it kind of, it kind of is one. And that's, and that's why when I'm in one of those moments where I, I know that my intelligence isn't enough, I begin, to, I begin to pray for it. Because I believe that God can gift us in a moment with a sudden anointment, anointing of, of wisdom. I believe that that, that takes place when you're, when you're in that need, when you're in a complex situation, about to make a decision. I, have, I would say, let's, let's do this. Let's petition in those moments. Let's petition God for his wisdom in the back of your minds or in whatever way you can. But I also believe that while, while it, is, it is that way, I also believe that wisdom is something that God gifts us with over time in our discipleship process. It can be sudden and for a moment, and yet it is also something that is developed in us when we ask him for it. And, he, and when we ask him for it, he begins to grant it to us. We already established that you are intelligent people. You're smart, again, and bright and beautiful and wonderful and everything that you should be. But the wisdom that is spoken of here in Solomon's prayer and especially in, in Second Chronicles where it has the, 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 the same, the same uh, basic story, uh, the wisdom that's spoken of here is called chokmah in, in Hebrew. And chokmah is, is related to the Shekinah glory of God, the shining of God, this, this presence that God has. And, and I can't help but think back to last week's sermon, the prayer that we studied that said, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, right? And that's... that's what we're talking about. That's what we need. We need for God to shine upon us. Th this wisdom that we're searching for is not in textbooks. It's not on the Discovery Channel. It's not even on Oprah's new network. It's, it's not anywhere there. It is a wisdom that only can be gleaned from a proximity to God as he shines on us. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team to, to come back up here. And, and they're going to sing a song for us. And, and, and during that song, I'd just like us to, to, to listen to the song, reflect on the words. But, but most of all, make, make the space that we create while, they, while they're playing the song, just make it a space for you to petition God for his wisdom. That, that you could draw close enough to him for him to shine on you. That you can glean wisdom in that way. And, and as they're getting ready, I, I want to I read you what it says in continuation in 1 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians, moving on into chapter 2, it says, We do speak a message of wisdom 
among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Again, while the group sings, just sit and, and pray and ask God that, uh, that, that you could have this opportunity for him to shine on you and to grant you with his kind of wisdom. invite you guys to stand. God, we, uh, we recognize this morning that we aren't naturally wise. We know that. And God, because of that, we want to just humbly come to you this morning in reverence, in submission. And do just as you've commanded for us to do. God, we ask that you would grant us individually and as a people. Grant us your wisdom. It's a complex world we live in. Filled with difficult situations that we don't always know how to maneuver. And I pray that you would anoint us both in moments and in general, with your spirit, with a touch that grants us the gift of wisdom in our lives to make the decisions that you would make, to see things as you see them, to live as you want us to live. God, thanks for the example of Solomon. Thank you that you're the kind of God that has told us that when we ask for wisdom, you grant it. And so today we do so. Let us go home with your wisdom. Develop that and grow that in our hearts as we journey with you. Uh, thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be in close proximity to you, to have you shine on us. Pray that you have been worshipped this morning. and We do love you. Go with us and bring us your peace and strength for the rest of the week. In your name we pray. Amen.